You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan. There's no place like the Shire, Saks. You've been off traveling, my friend. I have. I have. I've been on a, on quite the journey uh, there and back again, as we say in the biz. Yeah, I went to uh, Outer Banks, had a beach week with the fam and friends, and it was great. And Jonah was a champ, mostly, on the <laughs> what ended up being, <laughs> let's say, 12 and a half hour drive uh, each way. Um, yeah, but, uh, but, but mostly good. And, and I think a perfect length of time and very happy to be home, but I miss, I miss my buddy. Where's my, where's my Ben, ben Wernie? I can't, I don't come down the stairs and see you sleeping like an angel. What, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. I'm glad to have visited and I'm glad we got to see each other for what the sixth time in person, maybe. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Once a year. Got lots of legendary drafts under my belt. Saw what to do and what not to do and have like turned that into my own legendary stew here lately. So yeah, um, I'm glad to be home as well. Back in Southern Indiana, you know? Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. Today, we're going to be looking at navigating drafts, which I guess is that really what we always do on a limited podcast. But more importantly, we're not going to be looking at, as Ben just very neatly put it before we started recording, we're not going to be looking at what's the pick necessarily, but what's the path? Like what cards... What picking certain cards says about where you expect to end up, where you're trying to end up, maybe looking at some points of no return in drafts or inflection points in draft, whatever you want to think about. Because I think that that's pretty important in all formats, but in this format specifically. Right. And I think what has certain cards takes away or certain archetypes yes. take away because it's it's easier to pivot in and out of some archetypes than it is others. And that's mostly what I've been doing in drafts right now is trying to give myself the best chance to end up in one of like five or six decks that I want to end up in. Yes, that's exactly my feeling as well. And as we'll look at sort of what the archetypes are in broad strokes. Not that no one out there knows that, right? Everybody, it's week three or four or whatever. People know um, what sort of archetypes exist, but looking at them on, in terms of a spectrum, and then I think that'll help us figure out where cards shine or what cards like in the Venn diagram of various decks, what cards like really slot in nicely into three or four of them and which cards are powerful, but really only slot into one, maybe two of them. You know, we saw this in Phyrexia all be one looking at that sort of spectrum of oil to infect or whatever oil to poison. Um, and what cards like were really secret gold cards in one color pair and what cards were just strong and could go in all four color pairs um, in their their respective archetypes. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's take care of some housekeeping stuff real quick. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Lots of great stuff over at the Patreon page. 
Everybody who gets back gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord. It's hopping. It's popping. It's the place to be if you want limited tech support. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I think we're maybe in a little bit of a lull, though. I guess next weekend is a limited qualifier, so that's not true. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll have lots of stuff um, still to talk about in the Discord in terms of competitive play that's happening on Arena, um, in terms of product dropping. We're sort of in a little bit of a lull, which is great for us content creators and great for the Discord to sort of settle a little bit. But it's an excellent community of like-minded, limited individuals. A lot of other great stuff as you move up the reward tiers, you get access to uh, the show notes, get access to the show a day early in your podcast feed, get access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben if you move all the way up the reward tier rankings. Um, so if any or all of that sounds of interest to you, head on over to the Patreon page. And we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. So I'm going to ask Ben to join me in welcoming this week, Craig, JP, Joris, Avid, Edward, Zandy, Zach, Daniel, Evan, Kyle, Zachary, Michael, James, Russell, Todd, John, Christopher, Siddler, Nick, and Aaron. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by Cool Stuff Inc., coolstuffinc.com, where they've got cool stuff in stock. And you better believe that cool stuff is still Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle-Earth draft boosters to store in your closet <laughs> until you get eight folks together to draft. In fact, I did an in-person draft after visiting you. I went out to New Jersey, hung out with a nice crew of folks, did a little team draft action on a Sunday with some paper LTR cards. So shout out to all those folks. It was a blast. It was a blast. And were you victorious? Oh, I 3 owed and my <laughs> team lost the team draft 3-6. Wow. Wow. So I mean, what a bad, what a bad I, teammate. I tried, you just say, no, we lost. I tried, to, I tried to carry, to but I, up my back was not, not able to carry the load, you know? Wow. <laughs> all right, Samwise. <laughs> Um, but if you too want to draft with some friends, grab yourself a Lord of the Rings Tales of Middle Earth booster box and, you know, pop it open when you got some folks around doing an in-person draft. There's nothing quite like Paper Magic. And honestly, this format is great. I yeah. am enjoying this format still, like, as much as I enjoyed March of the Machine, I think, which I don't know what that says about me because it's significantly less complex than March of the Machine, but... I like the decks that I can build and how the games play out. I like the format. I'll, I'll, I'll end there. I won't compare <laughs> you're not, it. You're not ready for the, the hot machine. takes. Not ready for the hot you're takes. Not ready to get, you're not ready for it equal to March of the Machine yet? <laughs> yeah. Are you going to end an R50 takes episode by declaring this the GOAT? Top five all time, baby. Wow. Love <laughs> no. to see it. I don't, Love I don't know. to see it. But whatever you're doing over at CoolStuffInc.com, please use checkout code LOL, all caps, to get 5% off anything in the store on your order when you use that checkout code. So I guess we just have this as a segment every week now where we're going to talk about the land cyclers because <laughs> we did this last week. I think we chatted about it a little bit the week before. And we're not going to talk specifically about the land cyclers themselves, but land cyclers in the context of five color legends, five color good stuff, and land cyclers in terms of your land count. And maybe we were a little gun shy last week and talking about the amount of lands you can cut. I'm curious to hear after a week of of messing around in the streets, Ben, what your takes are in terms of how, how low can you go? How, how low have you limboed with your land count in this format? The lowest I've limboed is 13, I think, Oof. in a in a five color deck. So I do think you can push the boundaries pretty far. And I, I don't remember what my power rankings were, but if Generous Ent was not second, it's definitely second behind Lorien Revealed. And it might even be more important in some ways than Lorien Revealed to the green decks. 
because yeah. the blue decks like have access to other card draw besides Lord Interviewed, despite me having a love affair with that card. But I do think Generous Ant really is clutch for the green decks to not flood. And then there's some decks that just have a lot of trouble dealing with a 5-7 reach if they don't have bounce and they don't have black removal. Like some decks are kind of cold to that card. So I do think the land cyclers are a huge part of the format. I I am still pretty down on the red one, but Generous Ent has gone way up for me and just using them to splash and lower your land count in green decks, I think is a a way to get green competitive because one of green's issues is that it doesn't get good ring tempting and then you can flood if you're not careful. Yes, I, I agree. And so what these decks let you do is they let you play a bunch of land cyclers and a bunch of many partings um, to be able to, you know, splash around, but really lower that land count. So you're basically, I, maybe you're sort of taking a turn off at certain points so that you can land cycle to find a land or cast many partings, but you're usually just drawing straight gas off the top, which helps to compete with other decks that are running whatever, 16, 17, 18 lands, but have card advantage. Um, DeFore, who is a, a streamer, uh, great Twitter presence, great limited player uh, all around if you're you know on, not on the social media platforms and following him, would recommend. He sort of made a shtick of every set uh, the worst color <laughs> he shouts out as the best color and thinks everyone who, who doesn't draft that is stupid, whatever. Like it's a it's a great bit, but he always really finds success with the worst color, you know, blue and AFR he was crushing with as he was climbing the ladder, etc. And so his tweet about cheating to green in this format has the recipe of four to six many partings. One to two Woes Pathfinders. Two to four Mushroom Watchdogs, I was surprised by. One to two Enraged Horn, that's the five mana, four, five trample ETB ring tempt. Two to three Land Cyclers. And then you get to play 12 to 13 lands straight up. But his emphasis is you have to have at least eight green sources um, so that you can cast those many partings if you're relying on those. And then whatever the last slot is, is for anything powerful, right? Removal, splashable, ideally there's synergy with that splash. Um, And he has an example of the deck here, which just looks great. Space green, playing a lot of powerful cards. I mean, space green, white, um, but getting to splash around in the spaces for red and blue cards as well. What are your thoughts here? The Mushroom Watchdogs is the biggest surprise to me, but it does make sense if you're aiming for, I mean, he's got five copies of many partings in this deck it makes a kind of sense there because you don't often have stuff to do with the food and that's something to do with the food that doesn't cost any mana yeah i would agree i mean it's rare i think that you're gonna get five to six many partings unless you're the only green drafter another thing that's in this thread somewhere that i've seen him say is that he waits for the first many partings to wheel Hmm. and then goes all in on the deck but i think that's if you're like hard steering towards this you know and i've i've played a lot of green without a ton of many partings lately. And I, I would say you don't want Mushroom Watchdog unless you have this many, many partings because sure. Watchdogs is extraordinarily underwhelming. Otherwise, in my experience, I just don't think it pulls its weight unless you reliably have food. And sometimes you do want the food to eat to keep yourself alive as the green deck. You know, if you're under pressure from those blue red temp decks or red black, things like that. I will say, I don't know where we ended our green common rankings if we ever did anything with them more than a meme. Hmm. But I, I do think green is pretty real at this point and that woe's pathfinder for me i'm picking ahead of many partings i think woe's pathfinder is the key to making the green decks work personally because the the best thing you can do in my opinion is woe's pathfinder on two and then that accelerates you to four which is where all the power is in the legend like the four drops are nutter butters and then like the green starts that go 
Pathfinder in a four drop, in a five drop, in a generous ant, like that's really hard to compete with, even for a lot of premium archetypes. Well, and even as the gas runs out, or if you end up in this 12 to 13 land deck flooding, like Woe's Pathfinder has to be respected. That second line of text, if the game is going long, if you are flooding out or whatever, if you're hitting those land drops, your opponent, I mean, I, I haven't really done it very much myself, but I have recognize it on the other side of the battlefield, seeing them go, okay, that's land number five, that's land number six. Okay, I guess I got to either have instant speed ways to blow them out for the seven mana thing and then end the game shortly thereafter, or I have to kill this Pathfinder. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, a problem. And I will say I'm still not steering towards green, no. but the drafts have gone lately to where I've been pushed into green a lot, you know, like four or five times out of 10 drafts just because that's what's open. And I think we'll get into this a little later in the episode, but one of the things that green does is it lets you do whatever. Like it's hard if you end up in green to end up in a bad deck. Like you might not be like shooting the moon in hearts, but you're not going to end up with like 20 points or whatever, you know, like you're not going to have a terrible round if you end up in a green deck, because I think now that the recipe has kind of been cracked for how to make the green cards work, they do let you play all the powerful cards you see in draft and playing powerful cards in this format is a good way to win games. Yeah, I don't think it's whatever. If we want to talk about front door and back door, I don't think it's a deck you want to start out looking for, but it's definitely a great back door. And even sometimes like, I mean, Frodo is still my my biggest non rare to try and get into this deck. I think Frodo is excellent. The green, white one, three that lets you turbo ring tempt essentially. Um, and, but I don't think and the green deck, while I think it's at its best doing the legends thing, because the legends thing is the best, you know, synergy thing to do with multicolor cards. I don't think you have to be doing legends to make this deck work. I agree. And I would say, too, you know, you were we had experimented greatly with Great Hall. Mm. And I do think Great Hall is excellent, but the deck can function without Great Hall. Like you Correct. just can't go quite as hog wild with the legends. Like you have to be a little more responsible with your mana base. So personally, I've been on the side of if I can pick the Great Halls up, sure, great, I'm in. But I haven't been aggressively picking Great Halls because I think the deck can function without them. Uh, I have. I got five in one draft. <laughs> I saw that deck was great. It went 6-3. It was just, just shy of a trophy. Um, any other thoughts about the, the land cyclers cheating on lands, these green decks? I just think they're cool. And I, yeah. I think it took a while to figure out. And I don't think stuff like this is ever going to show up in the data. Not not to like knock data or whatever, but this this takes people solving how to build an archetype. And now like you probably will see green start to rise up in the data now that the code has been cracked. But the data can't tell you things like this, how to build an archetype or how to make a color work. I don't think. And maybe, maybe data scientists can figure it out. But for me, like this is what I, I'm interested in right here. Yeah, totally agree. All right, let's take a quick ad break and we'll be back for the meat of the episode. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and your favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. There's even a magic card out there that sold for over a million dollars. Oh my precious. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. 
As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes significant savings on to you. This is one phone plan you won't want to cast into the fires of Mount Doom. More like one ringtone to rule them all, am I right? All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash LOL. That's mintmobile.com slash LOL. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash LOL. All right, Ben, draft navigation in Lord of the Rings Tales of Middle-Earth. So in broad strokes, we're going to do, do just a little bit draft 101 real quick. In broad strokes, in any limited environment, you want to end up in one of two kinds of decks, I think, aggro or control. Now, we can talk about mid-range. We talked last week about aggro and control, just thinking about, you know, when does the game end If in, in as few turns as possible, that favors the aggro deck, and as many turns as possible, that favors the control deck. I think mid-range for me is defined as, it's another nebulous term like tempo. It's, it's defined for me as an aggro deck that can compete in the late game. Right? It can it can curve out, but it also doesn't just sort of fizzle and run out of gas once, you know, turn seven or turn eight comes around. I would say you're kind of a mid-range connoisseur. A lot of the decks you like to draft are that way. Like Red Black Sacrifice and Cube, I would say that's a mid-range style deck, yeah. you know? I feel like that's your signature jam. Yeah, I agree with that. Do, so what do you think of my definition of mid-range as being a deck that can curve out, but also doesn't fizzle in the late game? I love it. Great. Great. Okay, so that's how, if anyone ever asks you how mid-range is defined, we've just done it perfectly and cleanly. And yeah, no one done. will give us any feedback to say otherwise, I assume. No. Okay, so for Lord of the Rings specifically, let's look at where these two types of decks exist. And Ben will be here to, to pepper in some caveats. So for aggro, I think red-white is the only pure aggro deck in the format, where like Anytime you're ending up in red-white, you should be thinking, this deck is going to be aggressively slanted. There aren't really any exceptions to this I can think of. I would agree. And there's also a reason that I don't like to draft it, despite it being a good deck. And I would just like to reiterate, very powerful when it comes together, but it's high risk, high reward in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, Red-black, I think the default of this should be aggressive, but this is kind of the poster child for mid-range in the sense that it can grind depending on your card advantage, your ring tempting, your bombs, your ability to splash. It can slant more mid-range to even control, but I've put it in the aggro bucket here. Yeah, I like that. And I would also say about Red Black, I, I do think like it gets extremely good cards, like it gets the best card quality on rate of any deck in the format, but I don't think it has the highest ceiling. And I think it is hard to get it up to the ceiling of the best decks in the format because so many of the cards it plays are just about rate and not about going over the top. And it is possible to go way over the top in this format. Yeah, I mean, I saw some scuttle and I, I might be there too. I, you've been there since day one that I mean, is blue and again, the data won't reflect this, but is blue the best color in the set? It is for me. It is for you. <laughs> it is for me. Ben Lorian revealed Warney says blue is the best color. So the next deck I have on the aggro list here completes the Mardu uh, trio here with black white. Basically, I think this depends on the number of shadow summonings you have. I think black white default is more on the, the mid range or control end of the spectrum. 
the times where I think about, oh, I really want to curve out and beat down is if I've got two plus shadow summonings. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. Blue red, this really exists in both buckets. The the aggro version is more about tempo, about ring tempting, less about the combo kill with Gandalf sanction. Oh, blue red. What can we say about blue red? This archetype, I, I will firmly declare blue red, I think is the best archetype in the format. Even, yeah. even if you subscribe to black being the best color, blue red is so versatile. It can do everything. It can be all out aggro tempo. Mm-hmm. It can be mid range, ring tempting, little disruptive. It can be full control with Gandalf sanction, fiery inscription. You can play fiery inscription. That's the build around enchantment in the more mid range temp yeah. version. Like it's just impossible i think to end up with a bad blue red deck if those colors are remotely open because there's so many different styles of blue red deck you can build and they're not exclusive oftentimes we'll have like an archetype that can be split where it's like well half the cards go here and half the cards go here and you don't want to mix them it's not the case for blue red you really can be like yeah i'm an aggro temp deck but i also only have whatever 10 true creatures. So Gandalf sanction is nuts. Fiery inscription is nuts in this deck as well. And if I draw it on time, great. And if not, no big deal. Right. And one of the things we're going to talk about is inflection points in the draft, like when you kind of have to make a decision for what you want to steer towards in the draft and blue and red, if you're wanting to end up in blue red, let you delay that decision for ending up there for a while and also what style you're going to end up in for a while, because so many of those cards, like you said, overlap and go so many places so well. Yeah. And then the last aggro deck I have on here is green white. I think this depends on Frodo and ring tempting. But if you end up straight green white, as I have a few times because I've been, you know, I really want to draft this multicolor legends deck. And so I've been biasing towards it. And sometimes you don't end up with a fixing. Sometimes all of your powerful cards are in green white anyway. Sometimes you just end up with, you know, an aggro green white deck. And I think that's fine, too. This is like the only straight up green color pair. I think that I'm, I mean, black green, I guess as well. But green white is a color pair I'm happy with in air quotes to end up in, but it should definitely be on the aggressive end of the spectrum. And when you're doing that, because I, I have no experience with straight green white, are you still subscribing to the like many partings, try to get your land count lower with many partings or just mm. land cyclers? Or are you playing a more normal looking 16, 17 land deck? Playing a more normal looking 16, 17 land deck, I would say just because I don't I, I feel like the many partings land cyclers of it all forces you to play off curve a little bit, right? On turn three, you're happy to go many partings, find my third land, play a two drop, whatever. I don't want to do that in my aggro deck. I really want to be able to, you know, legend on two, errand rider on three as my whatever Seraph's pack mate variant, you know, curving out into enraged horn on turn five, that sort of thing. Right. And so this is not like a woes pathfinder deck. No, 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 no. Right. No. So it's, would you say, and I'm just trying to conceptualize this here, would you say it's heavier white and lighter green and the green is more for the legends? Like what is green contributing to the deck other than like cards like Enraged Horn? At common, not much more. I mean, you can't, you can play many partings, certainly, but I'd rather play it if I have some food synergies as well. Like if I'm playing Rosie, if I'm playing East Farthing Farmers, whatever, if I'm playing Peregrine Took, that sort of thing. I think Frodo is the big thing that's not rare because this can go well in this deck, even if you're not doing super legends and you just want equal parts green and white in those decks to be able to have Frodo on too. But it's, it is, you're right. It's more base white. You get, you know, farmers, Aaron Rider, build a pony, whatever, nimble Hobbit as a good ring bearer that helps, you know, disrupt combat, et cetera. Right. And then you get the good green uncommon legends to make your errand writers better, like that sort of thing. Yes, exactly. 
Okay, cool. Then looking at the control end of the spectrum, I think blue, black, blue, red, blue, white, they all largely operate in similar ways. If they are, you know, base blue in terms of the, the control end of things, you're just looking for the game to go on as long as possible and take advantage of blue's many card advantage spells to pull ahead with. Right. And what you said there, I think is, again, a big point in blue's favor in that like all three of those decks, like if you get in blue, you can really feel out which other one of those yep. colors is open. And then you're you're building towards the same style of deck, regardless of which color you choose to pair with blue. I think that's a big boon in favor of blue and those control archetypes. And then looking at some Abzan color pairs that aren't white green or aren't green based, looking at black, white and black green, Denethor, Faramir, Samwise the Stouthearted, Tale of Tenuvial, Rise of the Witch King, Food Tokens, etc. They all lead towards these decks being decks that can grind. You have to rely on ring tempting to compete with card selection or card advantage. Um, you're often two of these three colors and then splashing the third, right? Your black white deck is often splashing green. Your black green deck is often splashing white for whatever, for Denethor, et cetera. Um, but I think of these as control decks. And those are bordering on Legends decks as Correct. well, right? Like that's a very blurry line from what you're describing there to just a full out green Legends deck, I think, too. Yes, which brings us to the next deck, which is green-based multicolor decks. We already chatted about them a little bit. They can be Legends-based. They can just be Bombs-based. They can be Many Partings, Woes, Pathfinder, Oops, All Good Cards. But all of these, these are control decks. Yeah, for sure. And then the only decks we don't have on these lists are decks to avoid, and that's blue-green and red-green. How, how do you feel about those as decks to avoid currently? I would co-sign. I've been smashed by some red-green decks lately, though. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, just a couple times like that have done Woe's Pathfinder into 4-4, into 4-5, into whatever, like just comp and then you get the, the deal three from red. I, I, I agree. You should avoid them. Okay. I, I have lost a red green a couple times lately. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, we're not saying it. De decks to avoid does not mean unplayable, whatever trash that we were saying about green in week one, you know, green, green gets a, gets a mea culpa here. So, well, and I would say also you should be able to avoid them, right? Because Yes. The other colors are quite deep. So if you're steering away from green initially, which I think you probably generally should, but I do think you, at least if my experience is any indication, might get pushed into green and should be more willing to let yourself get pushed into green previously than I would have been, I think, you should still be able to not end up green, blue, or green, red. Like you should be able, if green is open, you should be able to end up green, white, or green, black, or green legends. Like you shouldn't need to mess with these other two things. I agree. And I mean, there has been so few limited formats where all 10 color pairs were viable decks you were happy to end up in. So having there be two on the sidelines, that's that's pretty normal fare, I would say. And the fact that, you know, green does offer different flavors of decks sort of bumps that up from from eight to a higher number. So let's look at some inflection points. So we're going to not look at these as classic, you know, what's the pick, pack one, pick one, here are the cards as options. We're, we're going to really try and shortcut fast forward to the picks that matter, right? So this is less about what's the pick and more about what's the path. So I've got a draft here for you. First up, the first three picks, pretty straightforward in my opinion. I take the rare out of pack one, that's Balrog, Durin's Bane, the five black red, seven five with haste, costs one less to cast for each permanent sacrifice this turn, can't be blocked except by legendary creatures, and when it dies, destroy target artifact or creature and opponent controls. Pick two, same, powerful card in the pack, Gandalf's Sanction, one blue red sorcery, deals X damage to target creature where X is the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard. 
excess damage is dealt to that creature's controller instead. And pick three, I can't believe it's like one of my new favorite cards in the set, but Frodo Baggins, I think, is the clear pick out of this pack for me. Green-white for a 1-3 uncommon. Whenever it or another legendary creature enters the battlefield under your control, the ring tempts you. As long as Frodo is your ring bearer, it must be blocked if able. A bit of a doozy of a start. Yeah, black-red rare into a blue-red signpost, into a green-white signpost. These cards are all not going in the same deck together, right? Right, I completely agree, but this is what you want to do when there are cards of this power level because there aren't tons of cards of this power level in the format. So giving yourself the best chance to end up with the most powerful cards is really important. And I also think this Frodo Baggins pick as well, I think early in the format, I would not have taken Frodo because I would have wanted so badly to not be green. And I just Uh don't feel that way anymore. Like Frodo is comparable to these other cards, I think. And if you pass on it here, you're giving up an option to end up in a green deck, which some people might be glad about that. But at this point, I'm willing to go green, especially if it's for Frodo. Well, and there's not really, you know, we'll link these drafts so you can you can poke around with them yourselves if you want to. But there's really not, you know, if there's Lorien revealed in this pack, you better believe Ben's going to snap it up here, right, to go with the Gandalf sanction. I wouldn't. I would take I would take Frodo here over Lorien revealed. I would. Wow. Okay. Never mind. Mostly because I I can get them later because other people don't seem to have (laughs) the same love affair with the card that I do. But I also think Frodo is just a significantly more powerful card than Lorien revealed. And I think the deck that he goes in is quite good when it comes together. So I I wouldn't want to miss out on the possibility of drafting that deck if it is what is open in my seat. And the other thing that I really like about Frodo is that, you know, we're talking about the kinds of I had a list of like a few cards of like, hey, these are cards that are powerful and flexible in terms of the kinds of decks they go in. Frodo does that too. I mean, obviously, it only goes in decks with forests and plains. But of those decks with forests and plains, it's going to be great in your legends deck. It's going to be great. in even if you don't have legends, you're going to care about ring tempting. Even if you're green, white aggro, you're going to care about having Frodo. So it just it's going to be excellent in any version of green, white you end up in. Right. And what the back to the Frodo versus Lorian reveal, because I think that does put me on the spot. That's what I was saying is there's a point a week ago or two weeks ago where I uh-huh. would snap up Lorian revealed over Frodo and be quite glad that I was shipping Frodo. And that that's turned around for me lately. Yeah. All right. So pack one pick four. Here's an inflection point. I think it largely comes down to two cards in this pack. And that's Quarrel's End, two in a red sorcery as an additional cost to cast it. You discard a card, draw two cards and create a one one white human soldier creature token. And Enraged Horn, four and a green for a four or five trample. When it enters the battlefield, the ring tempts you. And so you've got Quarrel's End that can pair with the Balrog or, you know, probably even better pairs with Gandalf Sanction as a spell that lets you dig in your library, etc. Or you can give a little bit more weight to the card you most recently picked in Frodo as a green-white uncommon. I'm thinking about more people having passed Frodo to you uh, and and take their Enraged Horn and, and try and go a little bit into this green-based, ring-tempting, maybe green-white aggro life. What are your thoughts? I personally would take Coral's End here yeah. for a couple reasons. I think the fact that it plays with two of your cards is good, and I would prefer, all things considered, to not end up green. I think Gandalf Sanctions are certainly a higher ceiling than Frodo, if blue red's open, but there's also something to be said for, you know, you can, depending on when this happens, you know, if you feel like you've got a read on the, the draft law or the, the tables recently, you can say it, you can say the meta, the The meta, meta. (laughs) if you've got a read on the meta and you think blue red's been really contested, which has not, I think been the case. I don't think blue red's appreciated for quite how good it is compared to red, black or something. It's not 
quite as contested often. There's a world where you want to take Horn to say, I'm going to do the counterculture thing, and I expect this deck to be open, kind of a la Rakdos Gumption in March of the Machine, like when that was happening, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's what I was feeling a little bit, just like I, I wanted to draft this deck more than uh, than drafting blue-red or black-red. Um, I agree that I think Quarrel's End is better for all of the reasons you stated. Um, I did end up taking Enraged Torn, and I think it's really interesting to sort of look at. This is the only pick I wanted to really explore in terms of what would you take, but this pick has so many implications on what you do. So if you take Quarrel's End, these are your following picks. You take Rally at the Hornburg next, the two mana make two one ones. Then you get a Stern Scolding, pick six. Single blue, counter target creature spell with power or toughness, two or less. Then you get to take a Lorian Revealed, pick seven, as to uh, to Ben's point of no one taking these when they should. Then you get kind of a clunker in pick eight, um, but but you do get some goodies in pick nine with an Arwen's Gift and, and three other red cards in the pack as well. Now, with my path taking Enraged Horn, it's not as flashy i would say you get a peregrine took next which is nice um you're gonna have some some food synergies some token synergies even it's a legend so maybe you're going down that route that's the three mana two three whenever uh you create a token you create a food in addition to those tokens and then you can sack three food to draw a card pick six not as sexy as there are five blue cards and two red cards and you end up having to take eagles of the north the white mana cycler pick seven a hobbit sting not great, right? Not looking great here, but I can't really take... I mean, I guess I could. What do you think? Pick five? Am I still supposed to take Rally here after taking Horn? Do you think there's a world where you can? No, I wouldn't jump ship there. I think once you take Horn, you're supposed to take Peregrine Took mm-hmm. over Rally at the Hornburg. Pick six is where I would deviate. Like, take I, I, I hate Eagles of the North enough, and I, I don't want white to be a splash color if I'm playing Frodo. And if I'm green, I'm playing Frodo. So I just assume I'm base green white if I've got Frodo that I would speculate on stern scolding. Yeah. And then once I've speculated on stern scolding, then I can take Lorien revealed and like abandon ship on the green. But some of that too is knowing what you're likely to want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm that's why I want to take Coral's End because I'm much more predisposed given two options to end up in blue red spells than I am to end up in a Frodo deck. Mm-hmm. So but I think you are more of the two of us predisposed to want to try to make Frodo work. So the, the horn pick, I think, makes sense for you. The question is just are you blinders on at that point, which it seems like you were in the draft? Yeah, like if you're at a PT, are you taking Coral's End? I think you have to. Right. I think I think you have to. I mean, again, unless you think, look, everybody knows that the this is a good deck, this is a good color. I expect green to be underdrafted. I'm gonna take Enraged Horn. But that's a gamble, man. Right. Well, and the argument I would make too is if green's open, you should be wheeling enraged horns. Like you shouldn't need to spend pick four on it. That that would be my case. Yeah. So a, a lot of stuff. Again, I'm not saying the taking horn versus quarrel's end, whatever. I think quarrel's end is is correct, quote unquote. Even though I took horn and and it did end up with the aforementioned like green white aggro deck not splashing. Didn't end up playing the eagles, etc. Um, the deck ended up playing out quite well. But I think that pick was incorrect. But I think it's important to recognize that pick has a ton of implications for the rest of your draft. Right. I think that's one of the reasons that I like this format so much is that you have a lot of agency in the drafts, I think, without giving up a lot of potential power. Mm -hmm. 
right? Like your first three picks, you don't have much agency, right? Like you're just taking the best card, best card, best card. And then you get to this decision point where you can take Quarrel's End or you can take Horn. And even once you take Quarrel's End, like you get Rally and then you're still open to Red Black or Red red Blue blue, for a while. And then you get agency to decide which one of those paths you want to go down. Yeah, agreed. All right, next log. This is one of mine. Pack one, pick one. A fair... You see a few fairly equal cards here, I think, to, I think, set up your first choice for how you want to start to navigate drafts. So pack one, pick one. You've got a choice between Smite the Deathless, the one in a red, deal three, Lorien Revealed, the draw three island cycler, (laughs) and why are you laughing at me? Because I'm waiting to to destroy you. It's not really in consideration. (laughs) I just want to shout it out. I I love the card. For our our patrons at at a higher tier, you can have access to our show notes to see all these logs. And all of Ben's like inflection points are, you got Lorien revealed. Should you take it? Probably not, but you could. I I will I know you should take something else, but I want to take Lorian Revealed. Where do you want to end up? Blue for me. Like it's just <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> okay. So the third option is claim the precious. So realistically, you're taking claim or smite mm-hmm. over Lorian Revealed. So this, but if you really love blue, and I do really love blue, and even I took claim here, so it's probably not in consideration. You you decide whether you want to start black or red. Is Lorian Revealed number one for you over birthday escape now? No. Okay. Um, I agree. I would take Claim the Precious here. The only consideration might be if you like really had to read the black was dry, etc. And you wanted to avoid it. But I have not been there at all in this format. How do you feel about the thought? Is this too hot of a take that once you start taking black cards, it's really hard to stop taking black cards, even when it's not super open? How do you feel about that? I agree. I don't think that's really a take. I think that's a good piece of advice or a good sort of be aware that like it's it's easy because black is so deep for ben to take claim the precious here pack one pick one and get air quotes deeper into black for black's fifth sixth seventh best commons and they look like good cards but is black really open or are you sort of the fourth black drafter down the line i I think you really want to be aware of that of being like okay we'll pick four i can take this urukai berserker like yeah but should you be just taking this good white card instead? But it's hard not to take the Berserker. That's the rub. So like I found some real tension with black almost to the point where I haven't wanted to start black to where I think there's a real case for Smite the Deathless here when you think about where you can end up, right? So Smite the Deathless knocked in a sense that I don't personally really want to draft red-white, but you could end up in red-white. Red-green we're hoping to avoid. Red-black would be great. And red-blue would also be excellent. And I think Smite giving you outs to red-black or red-blue, whereas Claim lets you do... Claim probably still more flexible, right? Because you're happy with black-green too. You're happy with all four black decks, yeah. Yeah, personally, I'm less happy with black-white myself because I don't get to play blue cards. But yeah, it's probably still Claim here. I do think there's a real close case to be made for Smite the Deathless depending on how you view the archetype rankings and where you want to end up, though. Yeah, and what your preferences are. But even here, like, it's not really an inflection point, but it's worth noting that, like, these picks are close enough that you already want to be thinking about, where am I going to end up when I take this? Right. So pack one, pick one. We take Claim the Precious. 
Pack one, pick two, a, a bit of a decision point here, but not really, I think. You've got a choice between birthday escape as the draw card ring tempting, best blue common, and in the uncommons, shadow summoning, white black for a sorcery, create two tapped one one flying spirit creature tokens. Shadow summoning, baby. Yeah, it's a more powerful card. I think it's a pretty straightforward shadow summoning. So you got claim into shadow summoning, and you're on track, I think, to try to draft black white at this point. Mm-hmm. Or potentially abandon shadow summoning and do something else. Pack one, pick three, doesn't matter at all. This is an atrociously bad pack. Um, best white card is the Battle of Bywater. The rare one white white, destroy all creatures power three or greater. Then make a food token for each creature you control. The card is terrible. Esquire the King is better than that. Mm, you I have two hate... one one flyers. I guess so. I hate Esquire. I take, I take umbrage with this pick, sir. You're like, this pick doesn't matter, so let me take a red card. I hate Esquire. I refuse to play Esquire the King at this point. <laughs> your your dislike for white aggressive decks is wild. It's a leak? Is it's, it a leak? It's a leak, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, all things considered, you have two good cards. You can take Esquire the King or Orcish Medicine. You don't have to take, like, the fifth best red common. Yeah, I just think... So we're early in the draft trying to take the best card out of each pack. So Ethan is alluding to Relentless Rohirrim, which is three and a red, four, three ETB ring tempts you. I am unhappy if my deck has either a Squire or Orcish Medicine in it, and I would be happy playing a Relentless Rohirrim in some styles of red decks. So I'm potentially setting myself up to pivot off of Black-White into Black-Red. I think Rohirrim's a good piece in the Black-Red decks. Okay. And it's my second piece of tempting. So I took Rohirrim over a Squire and Orcish Medicine here, pack one, pick three. Pack one, pick four, you have your first kind of a potential audible decision point, right? So in the commons, there's no good black or white commons. There's a coral's end if you like red cards. Uh, two and red for a sorcery as an additional cost. Discard a card, and then you draw two and make a 1-1 one, one soldier token. There's Alorian Revealed if you want to pivot into blue. Three blue blue <laughs> for a sorcery, draw three, island cycling one. And then in the uncommons, there's an Oath of the Grey Host, uh, three and a black, you and each opponent make a food token, chapter one, chapter two, each opponent loses three life, make a treasure, and then chapter three, you get those three one one tapped flying spirit tokens. Yeah, I mean, I really like Oath in this spot. It's a card that I came in hot on and I've I've cooled on quite a bit, but I think with this start, you know, I was just alluding to when we we're talking about the archetypes, the amount of shadow summonings you have sort of dictates how aggressive I think your black-white deck can be or what the ceiling of that aggression can be. And Oath of the Grey Host is at its best, an aggressive card, which is sort of ironic because it takes a, a few turns for it to really affect the board in any way. But when you've done stuff in those early turns, when you've put pressure on the early turns, that's when you have the time to untap with the three one one flyers. And when you do, you can close the game in a hurry. So I like taking Oath here. And really, I'm already thinking, I mean, I know Ben doesn't want to play Esquire, but I'm already thinking I'd like to pick up an Esquire for this go wide <laughs> life. I'd like to keep my curve as low as possible so my four drop slot doesn't get gummed up and I can really take advantage of casting Oath on four and not feeling like I'm behind. Well, and Oath also, I think, is at its best in black-white. Yes. That is, I think, its best home as well because you get the critical mass of spirit tokens when you combine it with shadow summoning as well. Mm -hmm. So I think Oath here says... I want to stay going down this back black-white path, potentially. Mm -hmm. And a specific flavor of black-white as well. Yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah, like one that is focused on spirit tokens and going wide and maybe some yeah. sacrifice it's, synergy, that type of stuff. I just think it's worth noting that it's it's narrow, right? It's pick four and you're already sort of saying, the path I'm going, th this is the path I want to go down. 
but it's narrow. Which is dangerous, I think, also in this format to a certain extent. Yeah, this early in a color that's so contested. Right. That's tough. So you could, I think, take Laurie Intervealed, which is a, a much less high upside, but a safer, more flexible pick, and potentially pivot into blue-black or red-blue. Or you could take Coral's End if you want to, like, if you're like, ah, I really don't like black-white, don't want to end up in black-white, you could take Coral's End and start to shift towards red-black or, and then if blue keeps flowing, potentially end up in blue-red also. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, so I took the Oath of the Grey Host, pack one, pick four. And then pack one, pick five, you kind of have a pretty straightforward pick here, given what you've picked so far. There's a nasty end, I think, which is super important to uh, the black-white decks because you don't have access to blue's card draw to not flood out. I see you shaking your head there in the Zoom now that we've got this this video action going on. What do you like here over nasty end? I do like, I, I so, you know, I always want to keep in mind, right, what's the best card in the pack overall? And I think you and I would both agree that it's Stern Scolding. Yes, I agree. So I think it's early enough that I would speculate on that personally, just because I think it's so clearly the best card. And Nasty End, I subscribe to your opinion that if I'm not in blue, I want one Nasty End in my black decks. I agree with that for sure. I think it's early enough that I don't have to take it here. Yeah, I think I would want multiple. Oh, wow. Blue, Man. In, a, in a black deck that doesn't have access to blue. I, I love Nasty End. I think it is one of the most important black cards for black decks that don't touch blue. Okay. All right. Well, then that makes sense that you're taking it here. Well, and I also think, too, there's something to be said for once you take Oath of the Grey Host, last pick, like if we're wanting to branch out for Stern Scolding here, I think you're almost supposed to take Lorien Revealed the pick before, right? Like once you take Oath, you're saying I want to be black white, right? Like Oath is not that insane of a card that passing it is like an egregious error in draft or something. Uh So is there something not to be said for it? Once we take Oath, the natural progression is to take Nasty End, much like once you take Enraged Horn and yours, you want to take Peregrine Hook the next pick. That there is a snowball effect once you're taking cards that go in a specific archetype. And that there's not much room to pivot out of that archetype. I agree. I think I think the sticky point here for us disagreeing versus just being like, yes, 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 echo chamber is how we're valuing nasty end. Like I think I I basically just came around to, you know what, Ben's right. One copy in my black decks when I'm not paired with blue. And now you're like, I'll play six of them if I have to. And I'm like, okay, well now I gotta catch up to that. So my feeling is like this is a car if I end up in black white, which isn't like I'm not guaranteed to end up in black, white. I could end up in black, blue from the start, you know, like it's pick four, pick five, whatever. Like I have four cards in my pile. So I'm thinking like if I'm in black, white and I want one copy of Nasty End, I should be able to get it. And my Delta here for me is big enough that I'd like to take Stern Scolding. But if I want multiple copies of Nasty End, if what you're saying is true, then taking it here makes total sense to me. I think part of what we're seeing in these logs, too, to a certain extent, like you were making jabs at me about the Lorien Revealed thing. I think this is me trying to fight a little bit ending up in blue always to uh-huh. see what the rest of the format is like. Uh-huh. Like that I was like, okay, let's try black white. Like I haven't done this much. <laughs> like let's see what this is like. And then once I passed the Lorien revealed, like that was my on ramp to blue mentally yes. for me. It was like I take Lorien revealed and then once I take that, I take Stern Scolding and Bingo Bango Bongo, like that shadow summonings in the board and I'm drafting the same deck I draft every draft, you know? Right. So maybe maybe that's some of what we're seeing here too. Well, and and you fight blue off until it, it comes roaring back in pick seven. Yeah. So the next pick, I took Minas Tirith, 
to stay on track with black white, which I think is an absurdly powerful land. Like seeing that pick six is a big sign to me. Minas Tirith is a problem when you're playing against Nagra deck. And after you take Oath into Nasty End, passing up on Lorien Revealed and Cern Scolding, this would be I'm locked for me, I think. Once you take Minas Tirith here? I, I would feel like I've got enough good stuff for black white and a specific flavor of black white, right? Shadow Summoning, Oath, and Minas Tirith all go great with like a go wide aggro tokeny life that I'm pretty locked, which makes pick seven all the more interesting. Right. So I, I mentally locked it in too <laughs> with Minas Tirith. And then my kryptonite came along, which is pack one, pick seven, bath song, which is just absurdly wrong. Like hashtag not correct. The three in a blue first two chapters, you draw two discard. And then chapter three, you can shuffle any number of cards from your graveyard in and you add two blue. The add two blue is always just a nice little surprise. You would think yeah. I would remember at this point, but sometimes I still forget and it still feels absolutely busted. Well, I imagine you forget because you spend about three minutes picking the cards from your graveyard to shuffle back. <laughs> and then by the time you get to your main phase, you're like, what's this blue mana floating here? <laughs> That's right. That's how it happens. Okay. So we see this bath song, which is obviously my kryptonite. And there's also a protector of Gondor here. Three and a white for a three, three. And when it ETBs, you make a one, one human soldier creature token, which is like possibly the correct pick, I think, for most people. It's a really interesting pick because I agree. Bath Song, definitely the most powerful. But we both said we locked in. Minas Tirith, we're in. And <laughs> and while Protector of Gondor is certainly not as powerful as Bath Song, there is a sort of like, okay, if I take Bath Song here, how likely am I to end up in blue? Are the cards that I like nasty? If you end up in blue, black, nasty end is not good in your deck. Oath of the Grey Host, probably not good in your deck. Like you're basically pivoting to, I guess, even just blue X, but like it's blue. If you're pivoting to blue black, you have just claim. So you're scrapping quite a few picks, which is fine early. But is it worth it when you could just take Protector, which goes with all the things, right? Goes with Nasty End, Shadow Summoning, Oath, Minas Tirith, Go Wide, whatever. Yeah, I think it is an interesting pick. And I resisted Temptation on the blue punt, <laughs> right? I resisted temptation on the lore interview. Like I was a good boy. And then I like, this is the power level of card. This You're not supposed to see this power level of card pick seven. I don't think no, in the format. I agree. And so this combined with the other blue that we've seen, I would say at this point is a signal that blue is open. And I think if I pass bath song here and blue is open, I'm going to be miserable. You and specifically I, I could, will be miserable. Yes. 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 And I could still, <laughs> I, I agree. I don't like... Protector goes well, but it is not irreplaceable. No, it, what's so interesting about this is like pack one, pick seven, seeing Protector, this is perfect, right? This is exactly when you want to see it for this draft. If Bath Song was a blank here, you'd be like, sick of like <laughs> right. a strong playable from the archetype I want to be in. The, yes. ru the rub here is that you're seeing like one of the most powerful uncommons in the set. Yeah. So I did take the Bath Song and I did end up pivoting into uh, blue, black splashing green to loop with revive the shire and 172 i love that this is like this is your definition of i resisted i resisted blue until pick seven until i could resist no more i mean what's a guy gonna do you see a bass song you gotta take the bass song all right next up we're gonna get a little deeper into the draft hopefully we can get all the way into pack two so we're gonna we're gonna sort of uh, go on rails here um for the first few picks just taking most powerful cards leading you into a great archetype in blue black so we've got golem patient plotter first the one on a black three one when it leaves the battlefield the ring tempts you 
pay black, sack a creature, return golem from your graveyard to your hand, activate only as a sorcery. Right now, I have a deck waiting for me, Ben, with three copies of the old patient plotter. That's excellent. Card works very well with itself. I just can't wait. Yeah, I'm just going to turbo out ring tempting. It wouldn't be a Ben draft. This is a Ben draft. If pack one, pick two, you didn't snap up the bath song. Um, it's the best I, card in the pack, I will, to be I fair. will co-sign. It's the best song, card in the pack. <laughs> and there's there's quite a few other blue cards. You could wheel a, a Pelagir Survivor, an Arwen's Gift, a Glorious Gale, perhaps. Pack one, pick three. Power level starting to drop off. Again, basically just taking, I think, the best card in the pack overall. Also on color, the Torment of Gollum. Three and a black sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. Choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card. A mass works too. Pick four. Power level continuing to drop. Um, Glorious Gale is the pickup. One and a blue counter-target creature spell. If it was legendary, the ring tempts you. Pick five. Super weak. We're taking a looter here. Captain of Umbar. Two and a blue. Two, three, one tap. Draw a card, then discard a card. Pick six, there's still a second copy of Torment of Gollum here for us to pick up in a sea of bad green and red cards. So we take that here. Pick seven, with three black cards and three blue cards in our pile, we see a pack of all Grixis cards. Great. Sign me up. Great, right? I mean, there's a Soothing of Smeagol still here, the blue bounce. There's, you know, Oliphant, the red mana cycler, whatever, Isolation of Orthanc, medium interactive spell, but, you know, playable cards and the most playable of the bunch is Gandalf Sanction. One blue red for a sorcery, deal X damage to target creature, where X is the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard. Excess damage dealt to that creature's controller instead. This, again, much like the Bath Song, should not be here at pick seven. For sure. But there is Soothing of Smeagol in the pack as well to stay on track, which is one of the blue instant bounce a thing, ring tempts you. So to me, this is, do I want to stay on track right now and draft blue-black Bath Song? Or like... Do I think I can pick up another copy of Soothing of Smeagol? Like, what's the opportunity cost here for potentially branching down blue-red, and how likely is it that I end up blue-red, right? Mm -hmm. So it is certainly possible. Like, our black's not insane. Golem's great. The Torment of Golems are very good, but four drops, powerful four drops, are a dime a dozen in this format. Like, they are everywhere. And normally, you know, we say your four drops have to be special. All of the four drops are special in this format. Like it's almost like the the Incredibles, if everyone's super, no one is. Like the four drops are very good in the format. And it's easy if you're not careful to end up with too many. So I think for me, I like specking on Gandalf Sanction here because I'm willing to scrap black to draft a great blue red deck. And that's not as good of a home for Bath Song. But Gandalf Sanction is powerful enough that it's a card you should take notice of at this point in the draft, I think. Well, and I think there's more, at least I would be thinking that there are more paths available to you currently than just ending up in blue-red and scrapping your black cards, right? You can end up blue-black from this point and splash right, and Sanction. splash Gandalf Sanction, right? for sure. You could yes. end up black-red and splash Sanction and Bath Song even, right? It's early enough that all of those paths, while narrow, right? While narrow or short, whatever, however this metaphor plays out with like, you're not going to end up in those decks very often, but I think it's early enough in the draft that it's worth noting. Plus your setup specifically, if you wanted to end up in blue black, your double torment of golems actually do play well with the sanction and that they affect the board and our sorceries or instants to uh, bump up your Gandalf sanction. So I think it's worth noting like yeah, I would ideally not like to jump ship to be blue red totally because that's basically cutting out, you know, of the cards you have, you're happy to play Gale and Bath Song in blue red. 
Um, so I don't like giving up four of my six picks already. Plus with Gollum being, you know, if not the most powerful card, you have the second most powerful card to Bathsong. So giving up on that early isn't ideal either. But there's there's multiple paths here. It doesn't have to just be blue-red spells. For sure. I agree. All right. So pick eight. Grab a nothing burger here in Greyhaven's Navigator, the three mana three two flash when ETBs scry one. Pick nine. I don't think this is like a, a contentious pick or anything, but I think it's interesting. I think it's worth taking. It's kind of a, a fist pump pick in a way of generous end. Five and a green, five, seven reach. When ETBs, you make a food token and it's forest cycling one. I love getting to pick up a copy of this early. I mean, the mana cyclers in general, but generous end specifically when I'm leaning black is so good because both the, the whatever, the old old tree buddy, the, the old star, star. Yeah, old man Willow is a great splash and rise of the witch king is just a beautiful splash is enabled by the generous end and probably its best home is when you're black based like black blue splash rise is so good because you you have so much a mass to to sacrifice to that first part of the card right and in my case with the bass song here love a generous end for a splashed copy of revive the shire as well <laughs> to leave the bass song with so good news okay. for me as well how many times have you actually looped? I feel like I feel like you in the first week when you talked about looping bath songs, you were like, eh, it doesn't come up that often, but this is cute. And now you're like, really want to get a copy of Revive the Shire in my deck. <laughs> like Revive the Shire is so for me, Revive the Shire is a card that I basically never want to play because I feel like my decks that are interested in it are often behind that like the times where or like are operating from the place of being behind and when they're not they're winning and so like a card like that that requires something to be in the yard to get back requires something good to get back i just feel like i never have time for it and don't want that that setup cost you seem to just love it well there's several things going on <laughs> okay one i have rebought the bath song the revive the shire many times rare that i like loop the opponent into decking because they usually concede in frustration before then but i i do think the first time rebuying the bath song is pretty important because the second time you cast it you're just a billion miles ahead in card quality and then the decks that i draft with the bath song that have a copy of revive the shire I'm more willing to put bad cards in my deck like that because I see so many cards. Like if I don't need it, I can pitch it to the Bath Song. I also have a lot of ring tempting in those decks. So I'm more willing to put situationally powerful cards in those decks because I see so many cards. Like I, I also splash the the green destroy an enchantment or artifact in these Sultai Bath Song decks mm. because I don't want to be cold to an artifact or enchantment, which is terrible. Like you should never splash that card except in this specific style of thing that just wants to never lose. So you're trying to shore up all your holes and Revive the Shire is a, a hole to shore up, right? Like if you're in a control mirror, you do need and want access to that. Yeah, no, I, I buy it for sure. Pack rounds out. I think the notable card here is Arwen's Gift, pick 10, uh, three and a blue, scry two, then draw two cards. Uh, so that's excellent. And then, oh, and Black Breath, I think is worth noting as well as the two and a black creatures your opponent's control get minus one, minus one until end of turn, the ring tempts you. We're going to go all the way into pack two here for our last draft. Pack two, pick one. Get to pick up a great removal spell in Bitter Downfall. Then common four mana, destroy a creature, its controller loses two life. Pack two, pick two. Significantly less powerful, but still great for this deck. You get a birthday escape, uh, the blue cantrip that uh, also has ring tempting on it. And then pack two, pick three. 
this is decision time. And this is generally where decision time happens. You know, when people are like, when should I lock in? I often think that pack two, pick two, three, four is where maybe some waffling has to get uh, solidified. Um, But that's not to say that the inflection points don't happen earlier as well. But I think this is decision time for you where there's a second copy of a Gandalf sanction, or we could just take a solid two drop for our deck, which our deck does if we are in blue-black. Our deck sorely needs to start thinking about curve considerations as the only two drops you're playing are Golem, Patient, Plotter, and Glorious Gale at the moment. And so in that department in this pack, there's an Easterling Vanguard. One in a black, two one. When it dies, you amass Orcs one. So do you go black-blue here, or do you take the second sanction and say, hey, I'm blue-red, and maybe I can splash like bitter downfall or something. Well, and like questions to ask yourself are what does that deck look like too, right? We're scrapping a lot of good black to take the second Gandalf sanction. I think this pick is interesting because earlier we took the sanction, right? As the most powerful card. And I don't think you're supposed to here because your deck doesn't need the power level anymore, right? Mm. Like we've continued to get pretty good blue and black since speculating on that Gandalf sanction. And I think if you take the second copy here, You've only gotten one. You've gotten bitter downfall. I'm pushing. I'm pushing back here. You've gotten. You got black breath on the wheel, which is great, but like that's not also like a crazy signal to me. And then you got bitter downfall. Pack two, pick one. That's the only additional black card you have. Additional blue and black cards. We've gotten birthday escape. We've got. Yeah, yeah, but you can go blue red. But isn't the argument between blue black take vanguard or blue red scrap some black and take? the second sanction. That's fair. We've not gotten particularly deeper into black. Yeah. But I think we are on track to draft a very functional blue-black control deck. Yes. Like even more so than we were the first point that we picked Gandalf sanction. Like we're further along the road towards having a good blue-black deck. And so I think, do we need the power level? And to me, the answer to that question is no right now. Like I I see looking at these blue-black cards, we have the power level, we need the curve shored up. Hmm. So that's why I like taking the Vanguard over the Gandalf Sanction here. Would you take Gandalf Sanction? I would take Gandalf Sanction here. Here's here's my argument for this improving your curve. You take Gandalf Sanction, you get three, four drops just right to the sideboard. Makes your curve look a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I think seriously, like just the, the second Sanction is so powerful. And I still think it's possible I could splash... Bitter downfall. I don't like losing out on Gollum, but it's also not particularly good in your deck currently. So, like, it's I, I'm giving up on it, but I'm also not giving up on it in a sense of it being sort of a, a low ceiling currently. Um, so, yeah, I would take the second sanction here, and, and this would be my decision point. I would say second sanction, black cards to the sideboard, maybe keep an eye out on bitter downfall as a splash, but um, I'm still worried about my curve, but. Um, but I think I can take care of that moving forward. Right. And this is closing time, right? Like this, once this I, is the once decision. I, yes. yes. And once I take Vanguard here, I am no longer entertaining no. splashing red. And as it turns out, I think you would have been handsomely rewarded. Like red was... Getting the inscription pick, pack two, pick seven would be pretty sweet. Yeah, you get the pack two, pick seven, and then it flows also in pack three, which is tough because it was hard to know in pack one that red was open. I don't even know that red was open, but blue, but red blue, specifically was well, open and the blue, red, the, gold cards got opened. Yes, that, that's that's the sort of perfect storm. I mean, you sort of knew blue, red as a color pair could be open from the right because you got a sanction pick seven where you shouldn't get it. But, you know, did you know that Bilbo retired burglar was going to get opened or flame of Anor was going to get opened? No, you don't know that those blue, red cards that no one else can cast 
is going are going to get open and get passed to you. So right. So I I again ended up drafting the the trademark Sultai bath song <laughs> instead of blue red here. Um, but I, I think it's interesting to note that you've got a lot of agency over where you want to end up. And specifically, like there's another draft here where I start with Minas Tirith into Horn of the Mark, which is not the good horn. That's the one where you start with you attack you know, with two, two creatures. Yeah, yeah. And, and those cards work great with each other into a Samwise, like into a pack where you could have picked Reprieve. To me, it's just dangerous starting down aggressive routes because if you get there, it's great. Like I, I don't want to knock aggro and say that aggro is unplayable. It's just a much higher risk for not as big of a reward. I think it's it's safer to draft less aggressive decks because there's so many other places you can go. Like specifically white aggro is it's tough. Like you just end up passing on a lot of powerful cards hoping to get there a lot of the times, I think. I had to Google it because I feel like it's a great way to sign off the episode here. Um, but you were just saying it's, it's dangerous to take this. It makes me think of Bilbo's advice. It's a dangerous business, Frodo. Going out your door, you step onto the road. And if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. And I think that's really true about these drafts and these inflection points and these decision points. It's dangerous business for sure. It's a dangerous business. (laughs) So next time you sit down to draft, make sure that you're ready to commit to the path that you want to choose. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to CoolStuffInc.com for sponsoring this podcast if you're heading over there. As Ben often likes to uh, recommend to buy a box of of draftable cards to sit in your closet for many years, um, you can do so. You can also draft that box immediately. You can also get other great content over there. You can also get other product that isn't magic-related, that's gaming-related, whatever. Cool Stuff Inc. has cool stuff in stock. And when you head over there, use code LOL for 5% off. Yeah, just played a sweet game called Azul. Uh, oh yeah, that game is high school. It's like a tile mm-hmm. game pattern type thing. It's very good. So you Look check at you. out cool stuff yeah. also. I played a week of Dominion. Have you ever played that? I have. It's great. Yeah, Dominion is a fun game. Um, look, see, I'm a gamer. I'm a big gamer boy. Anyway, you, you? Can, <laughs> you can check out our content over at lordslimited.com. There's links to all of our episodes. There's links to our streams, our YouTube channel, our tier list, our Patreon, all the fun stuff over at lordslimited.com. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Like we haven't gotten to this. There, there's another log here where, you, where I start white, like Minas Tirith into not the Horn of Gondor. What's that? And then when do you pivot for Lorien revealed? Stop. <laughs>